Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode number 47, Diane Schuler and the 2009 Taconic State Parkway Crash. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. I know that it's been a very long time since I recorded, but I promise I am back at it now and we are going to continue to have a regular schedule with no breaks. I'm very sorry about the wait, but I appreciate everyone who has stayed subscribed and who has asked me what's been going on and stuff. It's just been really busy around here and it's hard to get out new content every week, but I really do apologize for that and I appreciate each and every one of you. I couldn't do any of this without you. So let's just get right into this without any more waiting. This is episode number 47, and this week's episode is all about the 2009 Taconic State Parkway crash and Diane Schuler. Now, my main source for this was the documentary on HBO, which is called Something is Wrong with Aunt Diane, which is a very good documentary. It interviews some of her family members and also witnesses to the accident to get a little background about it. It is also pretty troubling to see because they do show some of the images from the actual scene, which can be tough to watch. So I will warn you about that. It's not really for the faint of heart. So we're going to get into a background about Diane Schuler, the accident, what happened, and then also some theories about it because, of course, it's not just something that's open and shut. And the person that was involved cannot tell us what really happened anymore. So, of course, there's some theories we will get into. And I'm just going to give the facts. I'm not going to tell you my opinion or anything. I'll let you guys decide for yourselves what you think happened. So let's go right to the beginning. Diane Schuler was born, Diane Hans, on November 13, 1972, in a place called Floral Park, New York. And she was the oldest child And her mom actually left the family when she was a small kid. So, of course, that created a lot of added stress on Diane. And it was said that her dad began to rely on her to take care of the younger children, which, of course, has to be very difficult for a child to do. So she did not have an easy childhood. She was about nine years old when all this happened. So at nine years old, she was expected to take care of the younger siblings and clean and also cook. And of course, she had to grieve the fact that her mother left the family. And according to all of her childhood friends, she really didn't talk about what happened at all. So she kept it all inside. She didn't talk about her parents' divorce and she actually didn't speak to her mother after she left the family either. She was able to keep everything inside and no one really could tell if anything was going on. She was a good student and she played soccer in high school. Then she went on to a community college and then she met her future husband, Daniel Schuler. He was an outdoor guy who liked to hunt and be outside. And he had a job with a public safety company And then Diane actually had a mid-level management job with a cable company. So things looked pretty good from the outside. And family was important to them. They had two children, 
Brian, who was born in 2004, and Emma, who was born in 2007. From all accounts, Diane was the one that was in charge of the finances and the decisions of the house because she was really good with money and organized and all that stuff. Her friends even called her a, quote, super mom, which, as we've seen before, in cases like this, there are a lot of pressure on moms to be, quote, super moms. She had an appearance of everything was great, and on the outside, things really appeared to be that way. She had two healthy kids, a good marriage, a good job. But the last few years of her life, pressure was building up. And there were times where she could be impulsive. One time she went to buy groceries, but instead she came home with a new car. And then her friends did witness some things. You know, she would be rude to people out in public for no reason. And she also began to gain weight. Now this will come back later. Her close friends and family, only a few people, knew that she would smoke pot recreationally only to get her to relax before bed. And no one knew her to be a drinker. She would have maybe a glass or two at social gatherings, but never get wasted in front of anyone. And she also, if she had any problems with her marriage or anything, she didn't tell anyone. So no one knew anything bad that was going on. And her husband said that she never told him that she was struggling with everything. She also did have some health problems. She was a lifelong diabetic, but didn't really want to get any help with that. And she also had this tooth pain, an abscessed tooth, which can be very, very painful. And she didn't want to get the work finished at the dentist because she just hated going so much. So now we're gonna get to the accident. July, 2009, the family drove to a campground which was about 140 miles from their house. They also brought Diane's three nieces, Emma, who was eight, Allison, who was seven, and Katie, who was five. And they were the daughters of Diane's brother, Warren, and his wife, Jackie. The two families were very close and they often would hang out with each other a lot. So this was a pretty normal thing. They trusted their kids with them for sure. So much so that they loaned Diane their minivan for the trip. By all accounts, the family seemed to have a nice time together. Daniel said it was a very great weekend and they all had fun. They went on the boat and the parents relaxed together. He said that they did bring alcohol with them for nighttime cocktails, but nothing that was out of the ordinary. And he said that Diane did smoke pot Saturday night, but just a little to get her to relax to sleep. Nothing out of the ordinary, he said. Now, they needed to be home midday on Sunday because one of the nieces had a dance recital that evening. And Diane, of course, had to go to work on Monday. Now, they did leave separately. Daniel woke up first about 5 a.m. And then he began to get ready, clean the boat, and he drove his pickup home. Diane would later get up with the kids around 7 a.m. Daniel left the campground about 9.30 a.m. and he left with just himself and the dog. And then she would leave shortly after with the kids. 
and the owner of the campground did see everyone leave and said that they were in good spirits and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. 20 minutes later, Diane would stop at a nearby McDonald's for breakfast. The kids ordered food, and so did she, and then the kids played at the little playground area there. And the clerk that checked her out for her order said that nothing seemed out of the ordinary. She did not seem intoxicated or anything like that, and everyone was in good spirits. So now she purchased an orange juice right before she left the McDonald's at about 10.30 a.m. And then they were off on the road again. Now, this is where things get weird. About 15 minutes after they left the McDonald's, she would stop again at a gas station. And she went into the store alone, leaving the kids in the car. And then this is shown on the documentary on the security cameras at the store. She entered, and she does look kind of stressed, but nothing too weird. She spoke with the clerk there and asked for a specific medicine, which they did not have. And then she just left the store without buying anything and returned to the van. At this point, there were several drivers that reported seeing the red minivan driving erratically, kind of, you know, weaving in and out of traffic and honking the horn and yelling at people. One man on the documentary said that she was behind him and wanted to pass him and was yelling at him and acting really, really upset and strange. And it was really disconcerting for him. Now there were some phone calls. One was at 11.37 a.m. Diane called Jackie to say that she was running late, but wouldn't be too much longer. And Jackie the sister-in-law, did not notice anything weird during that call. Now, around 11.45, another driver saw Diane at a rest stop, and she was on the side of the road, bent over, kind of like she was vomiting. So that's what the other driver thought she was doing. At 12.08 p.m., there was an incoming call from an unknown caller. And then at 12.58 p.m., and this was later than they should have been home. They should have been home before this. Eight-year-old Emma called her father from Diane's phone and said, quote, Daddy, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane, and she is having trouble seeing, and she is talking funny. She is slurring, end quote. Warren asked to speak to Diane, and she said that she felt strange. And then he said, oh, just stay there and we'll come get you. But then the phone suddenly disconnected. And he called back at 1 p.m. And it lasted for about 10 minutes. And he spoke to Emma, who gave him directions. And he then told Diane to wait there. But she kept driving. Then are, there are about three calls after that are missed dials. And Warren called again, but he got no answer. And this is because she didn't have her phone at this time. It was found on a guardrail near the toll boots of a road. And no one knows if this was by accident or it was because she didn't want to talk to them anymore. At 1.33 p.m., two different drivers called 911 to report an accident on the Taconic State Parkway from an exit ramp. There was a one-way sign, but Diane entered the parkway and began heading in the wrong direction at speeds up to 85 miles per hour. 
There were also calls that warned that there was a driver driving the wrong way before the crash happened. One of the callers said that the woman driving looked like she couldn't see and was trying to look at the sign in front of her but couldn't determine that it said wrong way. Diane would hit another vehicle head-on, a Chevy Trailblazer that was driven by an 81-year-old man with his 49-year-old son in the front passenger side and their 79-year-old friend in the back. As the van hit the Trailblazer, it then struck another vehicle, a Chevy Tracker. The red minivan would burst into flames and went off into a grassy area beside the highway. Eight people died in the accident. The only survivor was Brian Schuler, her son, who was found under one of the seats. He would recover from his injuries and has no memory of the crash to this day. The man who pulled Diane from the vehicle saw a broken bottle of vodka inside the vehicle. Of course, everyone wanted to know what happened, including the family. Her toxicology report revealed that she had a blood alcohol content of 0.19%, which is the equivalent of 10 drinks and more than twice the legal limit. And she also had a high blood level of THC, the active ingredient in marijuana. And on the documentary, it said that she had so much in her system that she probably smoked 15 minutes or so before the accident happened. There was no forensic evidence of long-term alcohol abuse, like an enlarged liver, but that meant that maybe she just recently started abusing alcohol, and she was only 36 years old, so it might not have hit her yet. And her weight had gone up in the months prior to the crash, which could mean that she'd started binge drinking just recently, even though she was hiding this from everyone. Now, if you watch the documentary, you will see that she is... Now, if you watch the documentary, you will see that her husband, Daniel, denies that she had an alcohol problem in any way and says that there's no way she could have kept that hidden from him. He believes that something else happened to her to cause this. And he says that maybe she had a medical problem or something that happened like that, maybe a stroke or something. And he says maybe she even took the alcohol without knowing, like maybe someone poisoned her or something i'm not sure something like that though and there are some pretty wild theories out there of course the main ones are that she was intoxicated during this and she did have those 10 drinks or so before doing this and she just couldn't drive because she was so impaired and that's why she drove onto the wrong side of the road like that I think that's the main theory. There's a darker twist on that theory too, which is that she meant to go to cause this accident. So it was a murder-suicide situation. And in the documentary at the end, you will see that she had her toxicology reports again. They retested everything again and they found the exact same levels. So one of the theories is she accidentally became intoxicated. Either someone gave her the drinks or she took them without knowing somehow. 
Then there's a theory that she had some kind of medical incident that would cause this. Um, there's also this disease where if you eat a lot of carbs, somehow it can form alcohol in your system. It's very, very rare, but it's called auto brewery syndrome. And then there's theories that her tooth became so infected that it would cause something like this. And then there's also the mental breakdown theory too, which is she had some kind of mental breakdown and this is what caused it. No matter what happened though, this is such a sad and tragic case and it's completely ripped this family apart and so many families that were involved. And it's just really, really sad that this happened. And you know, if she was a closeted alcoholic that no one knew about, not even her husband, it's just so sad that she didn't get the help that she needed because you know all this could have been avoided. And it's sad that people feel like they can't get help if they need it because of the stigma. This is just such a tragic case. And especially when families and children are involved, it's just so sad and it's really heartbreaking that this happened. But I really recommend the documentary because it does have a lot of details in it. And it's really interesting to see when this kind of stuff happens, you know, who believes what and who comes together and stuff like that. It's a really good documentary. So that is the case of Diane Schuler and the 2009 Taconic Parkway crash. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to True Crime Works again, and we will talk to you guys next week. And if you could, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps the show out and it helps others find the show. And you can always follow me on Instagram at True Crime Works. I will be more active on there from now on. And you can also send me an email if you have any ideas for upcoming cases. It's truecrimeworks at gmail.com. Or you can also send me a message on Instagram. I would really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and we will talk to you next week.